Welcome to the Happy Homeschool, where we talk about creative homeschool inspiration rooted in relationships for the nonconformist, dedicated parent. I'm Laura Blodgett. And my goal at the Happy Homeschool is to inspire and equip you to create a learning environment that makes home everyone's favorite place. You can always read more at thehappyhomeschool.com. Hello, and today we are going to talk about how to make education a positive part of your relationship with your child, which is a re-recording of week 15 of 52 weeks to a better relationship with your child. Let's begin by asking basic questions about education. For instance, where do you get your ideas of education from? Have you given much thought to the government dictates and cultural expectations? You need to consider just how much these ideas and approaches impact not only your relationship with your child, but also your child's ability to think for himself. Here are the basics you need to be thinking about. What is education? Who should control education? What motivates in education? What are the goals of education? And how are relationships involved in education? If you haven't really examined these basics, then you are flying blind or letting someone else fly while you don't even watch. So what is education? We could probably all agree that education has something to do with learning. Synonyms of education listed in my Webster's Dictionary include instruction, schooling, teaching, training, and tutelage. While the noun school is typically thought of as a special place for learning or a group of people with a common set of beliefs, it was originally an intermission. Both the Greek skole and the Latin scala, which I'm probably not saying right, are specifically referring to having leisure from work to discuss. The idea of attending school as particularly used in English, isn't recorded until the 1300s. Why is this good to know? Because then we can begin to separate the idea of learning from the idea of the modern-day institutional non-family settings. Leisure, for discussion, is about as far removed from the modern, test-oriented school model as you can get. Leisure also implies that there is already interest or else why spend your free time talking about it? Children have always been taught things in various scenarios, but the point is that the current way of teaching children is not based on some timeless model of learning. It will probably also occur to someone that in previous time periods, and still in a few outlying cultures today, that survival was more of an issue and children didn't have the same opportunity for free time. Isn't it ironic, then, that as soon as they do get some significant free time, some adults think the children need to be locked up in buildings, away from home, for most daylight hours to work on a pre-approved education? I think we could say that the definition of education is twofold. One, education is that which trains the child in skills that are expected to be useful for a responsible adult. And two, education is that which teaches the child how to think about life. It all comes down to deciding what needs to absolutely be taught, what might be useful to learn, 
how well it can be predicted what might be useful to learn, and what specific aptitudes and interests a child has. Even then, we could ask, how strict does various teaching need to be? Much teaching takes longer and is harder than it needs to be because of the institutional approach, and we will cover that some when we talk about motivation. For now, let's just point out that learning is not suitable to an assembly line like building a car is. Discovery and internalization cannot be automated. Besides that, every child will have an interest in something that will lead to learning basics in order to learn that which is of interest. With such interest, some individually oriented and wise guidance can go a long way. It doesn't have to be crammed down their throats to be education. So now let's ask who should control education. One of the basic conflicts in life is that too many people want to be in charge of everyone else. From an honest excitement about the newest, best way of doing things to the arrogance of power, people come up with all kinds of reasons why there should be laws about this or that, including education. And since education has to do with influencing vulnerable children, it is a particularly contentious subject. The two most often used claims of concern are, what about bad parents? And what about the children without the same advantages? Both of these supposed issues are used to try to wrench children away from all parents for most of their formative years. Then, not only do the parents not participate significantly in teaching their children, but everything the family does is regulated by how the children must perform for this system that claims to know best. Every parent should question how anyone else could have more of a right or responsibility than themselves to direct the education of their own children. There is no better way to assign that role than to the parent. How can there be a greater claim on a child than by the people who gave birth to it? No matter what your religious views, the reality of birth is undeniably a tie that is only broken in the direst of circumstances. Those who try to manipulate the rhetoric to say otherwise should be highly suspect. They cannot personally care for all the children in the world. The only thing they can do is assign them to people who do not care as much about them as their parents. Let's get into what motivates in education. Motivating children to learn is a mix of working with their interests and making things interesting to them. For instance, we and our family decided it was important to help our children learn to spell. For some of them, I take no credit other than introducing them to dictionaries and vocabulary. For other of our children, I had some problem solving to do. The only way I had been exposed to the learning or verifying of spelling was workbooks. Such workbooks had a set agenda. All the exercises had to be done. It was tedious for everyone. Until I discovered a systematic program that began with measuring a child's level of spelling. And I have a link to that program, which is called Spelling Power, at thehappyhomeschool.com with the article here that we're talking about how to make education a positive part of your relationship with your child. But keep in mind that it's been a few years since I've used it, so I don't know for sure if it has changed any. But back to my particular story. One child in particular was showing all the signs of being a 
poor speller, until I adjusted the program in order to motivate him. Now, by adjust, I mean I went against the explicit advice of the designer of the program and met the child where he was. He just needed to know that any words he spelled correctly the first time he took the pretest, he wouldn't have to study again. I am still amazed by these results. Without even seeing the list for a split second before the test, he was passing tests with flying colors. At most, he had one or two words a week to study some, and for those, there was some fun, non-workbook ways to do that, and then he was always getting them right at the end of the week. Another way to motivate children is to engage in their learning with them. Be obviously pleased to read with them, discuss their science experiments with them, and enjoy figuring out math problems. Provide ways for their learning to be useful or meaningful to them. Let them build things or write to people. Ask them questions about stories or history that bring it to life and help them relate to it. Long lists of names and dates never motivated anyone to learn history. On the other hand, a long timeline on the wall that includes the children's birth dates can be a fun place to keep track of history and put things in perspective. Part of motivation is just the children knowing that you are working with them as individuals. It is motivating to know that things can be quickly altered to suit their needs and help them learn things that are challenging. It is motivating for them to know the learning is about them learning. So what are the goals of education? The purest goal of education is the betterment of the student. Unfortunately, that is often twisted to easily exploited goals like the betterment of society or the common good. But much like only individuals can make choices, only individuals can benefit from education. There may be an average good mathematically, but the results only matter to individuals. An individual who has truth and clear thinking can make the best use of any skills or knowledge that have been learned. And in that use, they will build on their education. So, one might say that another important goal of any foundational education is the ability to keep learning, to keep being creative. It might also be useful to clarify that trained responses or misinformation don't really count as education in the truest sense of the word. Distorted historical accounts to bolster the current regime are as old a tactic as ancient Egypt. Manipulation of data or lack of honesty about assumptions are frequently used to give the appearance of knowledge. One goal of education is to ask the hard questions and not use belligerence to silence other voices. Some might say there should be a specific list of things that should be learned to say that education is achieved. But there is so much variety in the world, in both information and abilities. Mandating any sort of uniformity is probably mostly an exercise in making those who create such lists feel validated. And it risks giving people a false sense of what is important to learn and what the value of their knowledge is. If as I have suggested, education really should never end, then such a list is also misleading. 
a child should reach adulthood ready for new opportunities of learning and the adventures that go along with it. How are relationships involved in education? We learn best from those we have good relationships with, and we build relationships with those we learn from. Because of the prevailing institutional school model, we are all familiar with hearing stories of those special teachers who made a difference in people's lives or who were their favorites. Teachers are often held up as filling the parental role without anyone actually admitting that that is the role the system expects them to mimic. I only say mimic because the system is really run like an orphanage. It takes time for relationships to develop. A parent who is intimately involved with their child's education will be able to take advantage of time in the best way. A parent who is in charge of their child's education will have more opportunity to keep unnecessary stress and tedium from the child's life. Relationships grow when the people who teach a child are available to ask spontaneous or embarrassing questions. When communication has been growing for years, then it is natural to stop everything and look up facts about thunderstorms or to discuss economics at dinner time. Good relationships tend to make all the distinctions between teaching methods less important because with good relationships, the parent is not just following a system but is teaching a child. Now, a common concern, especially when parents are just starting out, is what if I'm not doing it right? Think of this example. When you choose a coat, the most important thing is that it keeps you warm. You may have color or style preferences, but most people will admit that those matter little if the coat doesn't keep you warm. It doesn't matter if the coat is expensive or if it is the kind of coat everyone else is wearing. It doesn't matter if it is made of the latest technical materials. It matters if you are warm. You may find another coat that works better in different circumstances, but you can't deny that the one kept you warm while you needed it to. Other people may laugh at you for wearing your optimum coat while they stand freezing, waiting for a coat that they think is acceptable. Meanwhile, they are mad at you because you can get things done and they can't do anything except shiver and run around looking for less than adequate shelter. Parents who are just starting to think about formally educating their children are often too worried about which coat they are wearing or exactly how they are going to go about this education. If you are someone like that, may I suggest that if you just get started and just keep spending time with your children, you will get plenty of warm results as things proceed. You can learn, purchase other supplies, find new resources along the way. But if you are involved with teaching your children, then that is what matters. That is all on that subject today. It is a great time of year to get the book Four Frogs in a Glass Pond from Amazon.com. This is a book written by yours truly and illustrated by a good friend of mine and some beautiful watercolor illustrations. And let me just read the last little bit of the Amazon blurb to you. 
Four Frogs in a Glass Pond is a beautifully illustrated children's picture book. If you or your child like animal stories, lessons learned, and a bonus how-to guide on frog jumping, then you'll love Laura Blodgett's imaginative tale. It is rated five stars and makes a great read-along, family-friendly read-along. Thanks for listening. Make sure you have signed up for the Dangerously Helpful Homeschool Dispatch. When you do, you will receive my best 25 homeschool tips. Now go out there and have fun creating a fantastic homeschooling experience for you and your children. (laughs) 